If you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, kind of jumping through to get the flow before we focus on verses 20 and 21. So Colossians 3, friends, this is the word of Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is God's word. As we get started today looking at verses 20 and 21, i got a job description for us. Long-term team players needed. Okay, permanent work in a chaotic environment. Willing to work variable hours, which will include evenings and weekends, and frequent 24-hour shifts on call. Skills required. Candidates must possess excellent communication skills with a willingness to stay quiet. Excellent organizational skills required. Screen phone calls, maintain calendars, coordinate simultaneous production of multiple projects. Willing to be indispensable one minute and an embarrassment the next. Willing to be hated until needed. Heroic stamina, physical and emotional and spiritual, is required. Mind reading is a plus. Finances, property management, janitorial services, and coaching. Travel required, expenses not reimbursed. Courier duties required, expenses not reimbursed. No previous experience required. But the experience that you lack will make the job more difficult. On-the-job training is provided. Wages and compensation. This job does not pay a salary. It will actually cost you tens of thousands of dollars every year. And you'll have to pay bonuses and small salaries to those who report to you along with balloon payments after their 18th year of employment. Benefits. No health or dental insurance. No pension. No paid holidays. No retirement benefits. Actually, no retirement. But this job supplies limitless opportunities for personal growth and unconditional love. It offers free hugs and kisses for life, Respect, joy, and significance if you play your cards right. Title for this position, Mom 
and dad. We're done. <laughs> Parents are one of the most amazing and important things God ever created. Parents are one of the things that is the most vital to everything that God created. God made the family to be a place of relationships, a place of understanding, help in troubled times, shelter, wisdom. The family is designed to produce and grow the peace of God in our lives. God's shalom. This full-orbed sense of peace. But we don't experience that peace all the time, do we? Some of us, hardly at all. And the problems come from both sides of the relationship in the family. Right? On the one hand, you have parents who abuse their authority. On the other hand, you have kids who usurp authority that they don't know how to use. What can be done? What can we do? I think the central key to bringing peace back into the family, peace into your family, is to realize that all of us are under authority. Okay? All of us are under authority. You are under authority. And when you can get a hold of that, the idea that that you and everyone else, every person in the family is under authority, when you get a hold of that, families can grow. God's peace can grow, and our relationships in the family will be strengthened. Okay? And when it comes to living under authority, because that causes a lot of hair, to, a lot of feathers to ruffle, and um, the resurrection of Jesus makes a huge, huge difference. Okay, we're going to see that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything about parenting and everything about being a son or a daughter. So if you want to write something down, let me give you the three points that we're going to look at as we get started. We're going to see first, children under God. Second, children under parents. And third, parents of children under God. Okay? Children under God, children under parents, parents of children under God. So first, children under God. In the Bible, God is described as a father. Right? We saw that in Psalm 103. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. This means that God wants a relationship with us. And it's the relationship of a father and a child. When we respond to God as Father, when we, um, when, we, when we seek a relationship with God, it includes living under His fatherly authority. Okay? It includes living under His fatherly authority. Now, saying that, again, causes people to sort of buck, right? How can you trust God enough to be willing to, li to live under His authority? Right? I mean, that's really the big question. Not so much, uh, some people don't want any authority at all, but for most people it's, well, how can I trust that this is going to be a good authority, right? I mean, that's where most people, I think, where the rubber hits the road. And so the idea of how can we trust God enough to be willing to live under his authority, this is where Jesus makes all the difference, okay? Jesus came to earth 
to show us what God is like. Okay, Jesus is the revelation of God. He is God in the flesh. So if you want to know what is God's authority like, the guessing games stop with Jesus. You can know exactly who God is. You can know exactly how God thinks and what God thinks by looking at Jesus. Jesus had God's authority. He was God. And he used his authority to serve. Jesus had ultimate authority and he used his authority to serve you in the ultimate way. It's why he came. Jesus came to die for your sins. We had broken God's law. We've all fallen short of the standard that God has set. Like, we get that, right? Nobody's perfect. And we all fall short. And so Jesus came to take the judgment that our sins deserve, that your sins deserve, so that you could be forgiven. I mean, who, who wouldn't want a leader like that? Who wouldn't want that guy to be their leader? So... Jesus shows us by coming what God's authority is like and what God does with his authority. He serves you with it. But Jesus also came to live as a human being under God's authority. Okay, this is sort of the mystery of the Trinity, is that God came as God the Son. Jesus was the Son of God, or God the Son. He came to earth with a mission from the Father. Right? And Jesus lived under the authority of God. There were times when Jesus did not want to do what God the Father wanted him to do. The night before he went to the cross, he said, God, is there any other way that we can save the world? Is there any other way that we can go, any other route to pursue so that people can be saved from their sins? And then he said, if there isn't, I am willing to do this. Not your will, but mine be done. And so Jesus lived under the authority of God, even when it led him to die on the cross. And so Jesus understands the fear. Jesus understands the, the difficulty of having to live under authority. God, in, in this amazing way, came and lived under authority. Right? He has experienced exactly the same fear, exactly the same problems that you have experienced. Because Jesus was also under all kinds of, 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 of evil authorities. Right? The, what the government did to him, what the Jewish, what the religious leaders did to Jesus, um, helps us understand that he really does understand what it's like for us. And the resurrection of Jesus shows us the result of trusting in God's authority. Okay, this is why the resurrection matters. Okay, because the resurrection shows us that the resurrection was the ultimate victory. It was the ultimate victory that comes when someone lives under God's authority. Okay, in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 8, it says that Jesus, although he was God, 
didn't use his equality with God as a thing to benefit himself. Okay, he didn't exploit his equality with God, but he humbled himself. Being born in the likeness of men and, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? We just talked about that. Therefore, because of what Jesus did in living under the authority of God and humbling himself and living under authority, because of that, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The resurrection is the ultimate victory that comes when you live under the authority of God. Jesus did that perfectly. And the resurrection, his resurrection was the definitive statement of God that he is now above everyone because he was willing to humble himself, God exalted him. When you live under God's authority, the same thing will happen in your life. Not only will you be exalted when Jesus comes back, that's what Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So that will happen in the end, but you will experience, if you follow Jesus, okay, if you follow after him, then in the same way that his resurrection was a victory for him, you will win too in this life. Okay, you will experience the pleasure of God. You will experience significance. You will experience love and affirmation. You will experience the fullness of the blessings of God. Because living under God's authority is another way of just saying living in a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And it's the idea there is that if a relationship with God is like a house, the more you live in the house, the more of God you will experience in your life. The resurrection of Jesus proves that. And so I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to live under the authority of God. I want to encourage every single one of you to make a decision right now that what God says is the most important thing to you. More important than what anybody else says, more important than what anybody else thinks. I want to challenge you to live under the authority of God. And to determine, it's like put a stake in the ground, a signpost in the journey of your life, and say, from here forward, whatever God says is more important to me than anything else. When you do that, you will be following Jesus. And you will see what God will do. There are all kinds of things that try to get us away from God being the most important thing in our lives. Um, I don't know if you remember the movie um, Family Man with Nicolas Cage. Um, it was a while back. But there's a scene where Nicolas Cage at the beginning walks into a convenience store to get a cup of coffee. And Don Cheadle um, is playing the, the guy behind the counter. Okay, And um, there's a girl in line before Nicolas Cage. 
and uh, she's buying something for 99 cents, and she hands Don Cheadle a dollar. Okay, and Don then takes $9 out of the register and begins to pay her back really slowly. Like gives her a five, and then six, seven, eight, nine. And you can kind of tell that he, there's something going on in, in his mind. Okay, and she sees that he's given her way too much change. Okay, she sees that, um, and yet she picks it up, puts it in her pocket without saying a word. You can kind of tell that she knows she's getting away with something, you know. Um, and so there she goes. And as she's walking out the door, Don Cheadle stops her to give her another chance. And uh, he says, hey, is, is, is there anything else that you need? You know, anything at all? And she shakes her head no and walks out. So Don Cheadle looks over at Nicolas Cage and he says, did you see that? She was willing to sell her character for $9. She's willing to sell her character for $9. That has struck me really, really hard. Because I've sold my character for less than that, and I've sold my character for a lot more than that. I've sold my character in, in white lies to get new cell phones. I've taken advantage of the ignorance of others to get my way for financial gain. And this scene just, it just cuts me to the heart. And what I have, done, like what I've had to do um, is to, as I've confessed that stuff, sometimes I've had to go back and make things right. Um, but I've connected that scene with the idea of God's authority. Because that's really where you figure out, do you, I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever God says is the most important thing to me, Right? But it's another thing, in the moment, when you know that you can withhold the truth and get something that you don't deserve, that's when you find out, do you really want to follow God more than anything else? Or do you just want to be under God's authority when it seems like it's going to give you the biggest advantage? I want to invite all of you to make a decision today that what God thinks is more important to you than anything else. And then to trust that. Because it takes trust. There are times when you have to say, man, this is actually going to put me in a negative. This is going to hurt me to be honest about this. But if this is what God wants me to do, then the best life I could possibly live will come if I follow what God wants and live in the house of his authority. Does that make sense? This is incredibly practical. This is incredibly practical because we are confronted with decisions, if not every day, every week, if not every week, every month. Right? Opportunities to just see like what is the most important thing in your life. And I can tell you that every single time when I have chosen to honor God and to live under his authority, man, the joy that comes, the satisfaction that comes, the clear conscience that comes, 
the, just the peace, knowing that, like, like this, is, this is the life God has for me. It's been incredible. It's been incredible. Living under the fatherhood of God, right, under his authority, in the light of the resurrection of Jesus, it changes how you think. Right? Being one of his children changes everything about your life and the authority that you live under. Um, and then it also teaches us. It changes how you think about both parents and children. That's what we're going to see next. <coughs> one author said this about verses 20 to 21 before we go on to our next point. He just said, Paul has said what thousands of books on child raising have struggled to express. Sometimes verse 20 has been overemphasized and verse 21 forgotten in the zeal of parents not to spare the rod lest they spoil the child. Sometimes verse 21 has been overstressed and the rights of the individual child are allowed to range free, trampling on the rights of family, friends, neighbors, and anyone else in the way for fear lest young life be crushed or twisted. Both verses are necessary. Children need discipline. So do Good. So, our second point is children under parents. Children under parents. Verse 20 says, children, obey your parents. The Greek word, it's kind of interesting, it means be under the hearing. So it's the word under and the word hearing together. That's the word obey. So it's Put yourself under the hearing of your parents. Which I just think is a neat picture of how it works. So it's, it's, it's listen and obey. Listen and do what they say. Now verse 20 says, Obey your parents in everything. The Greek word there for everything means everything. <laughs> so... Um, because, you know, sometimes people, well, that's not really what it means. You know, if you can understand the Greek, it means something totally different. No, it means everything. Now, okay, having said it's everything, there are exceptions. Okay? Let's be honest. The Bible is not, I mean, when you read the Bible, you're not meant to, say this nicely, you're not meant to be stupid. Um, the Bible doesn't say everything in every place, every time. Okay? And so, when it says, children, obey your parents in everything... Um, there are some exceptions. Let's just talk about those. They're, they're similar in some ways to what we talked about last week with husbands and wives and the dance, right? So children are not to obey their parents if their parents tell them to sin. Okay? If your parent tells you to sin, you don't have to obey them. Um, if obeying your parents means that your parents will be in sin, you are not to obey them. Okay? So if they tell you if they do something and then tell you not to tell anybody else, you don't have to obey that. You, that's not, you don't need to obey. When the authority of your parents comes into conflict with the authority of God, God comes first. God comes first. Now, so what this means is that children, in order to be wise enough to know when to obey or not obey your parents, you actually have to know God and know his word. Okay? I mean, this is like a gift, right? Ooh, is that what he said? Did the pastor really say there's times I don't have to obey? Well, you've got to know God and his word to be able to 
to be able to stand up to the authority of your parents. Um, and then the only other exception to, to this in everything is when the change in relationship happens when children leave the home. Okay? When children grow up and leave the home, this happens definitively when you get married. So when you get married, at that point, you are a new family. Even before you have children, you are a new family, and you are no longer under the authority of your parents. But it also happens in our day and age when you, it can happen when you move out of the house. Okay? And the idea here isn't to create a strict set of rules that apply in every situation. There's a relationship here, and that relationship changes when you are out on your own. Okay? And so at that point, the relationship change goes from children need to honor and obey their parents to children need to honor their parents. Does that make sense? So you always honor your parents in the sense of, you know, all that they've done for you, right, for the last 18 years or more of your life, right? They, 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 are, they deserve respect normally, right? There are exceptions to this. If a parent is an awful, abusive influence in your life, then there's other ways to deal with that. But chances are they've done things that deserve honor, right? So you want to honor them for the sacrifices, for the commitment that they've made, for the way that they've loved you and cared for you. But you don't have to obey them anymore, okay? You see them as older people who have wisdom that probably should be listened to but not obeyed, okay? So those are the exceptions there. Now, why is this so hard for children? Why is it so hard for children to obey their parents? Understanding this, if you are a parent, will help you in dealing with your kids. Um, I think first, what a lot of kids would say is that parents, my parents don't understand me. Okay, that makes it difficult. Um, Will Smith put this to music in, I guess it was the 80s, with the rap song, right? Parents are the same no matter time nor place. They don't understand that us kids are going to make some mistakes, so to you other kids all across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. Right? This is the biggest issue, I think, that children have in terms of their parents. Parent, my, my parents just don't understand me. The stuff, they wouldn't, if they knew me, they wouldn't want me to do these things. Or they wouldn't tell me to do these things. Right? That's a big reason why children struggle. Second is that is that kids would say, I don't understand my parents. Okay? I don't know why they're asking me to do this. Um, a visual on this would be the, the Karate Kid movie. Right? Either version of it. Right? There's that scene where Jaden Smith or Ralph Macchio, right? I'll go with the old one because I like the movie a lot better. Um, where, you know, he's been, he basically says, like, you're not teaching me anything. Right? There's that moment with Mr. Miyagi. He's like, you know, I'm not learning anything. I'm not doing anything. You're not teaching me anything. All I've been is your, your, your slave for the last five days. You know, and then Mr. Miyagi kind of puts him in place and he's like, show me, you know, wax on, wax off. And he does this whole thing, right? This amazing scene. And, and Ralph, my, Daniel, right? The, the, the boy realizes, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I had no idea that I was learning karate. You know, and now I see that not only am I learning, but I'm not bad. Like, I'm learning and I'm, I'm pretty good at it, you know? And you, and you think, like, that revelation experience that Daniel had, I mean, you, how much, like, how easy was it for him to do anything, right, that Mr. Miyagi told him after that point, right? It's because he understood. He finally understood what his parental figure was teaching him, understood why he was asking to do 
what he said. So kids feel like their parents don't understand them. Kids feel like I don't understand my parents. Um, and then third, frankly, a lot of times kids, I, I just don't want to work that hard. I, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to be asked to work hard. Okay, laziness. Um, that's, a, that's a real factor. It's a real reason why kids have a hard time obeying their parents. The only way that any of these three issues gets resolved is through conversation. It's through conversation. It's, it's a relationship. It's a relationship that is necessary. Kids need to talk to their parents. And parents need to talk to their kids so that there can be mutual understanding. If you want your children, I mean, you, you think about this is what the resurrection teaches us, right? It teaches us that, like, Jesus didn't just come, I mean, he didn't just come and die for us and rise for us and go up into heaven and go, all right, hope you guys can figure that out, right? Jesus explained to his disciples so that they could explain to others the significance of what he did. So we see, and if you are a child, if you're a kid, if you're a young adult, you have to remember that Jesus really does understand what it's like to be under authority. Jesus had to submit to his father even when he didn't want to. Like, that's a hard deal. And his resurrection means, what his resurrection means is that if you submit to your parents, if you obey your parents in everything, then you will experience what Jesus experienced. You will experience a resurrection life, not just in the life to come, not just in the next life, but here and now. You will experience the reality of God in a deep and profound way. Um, man. And verse 20 says um, that when you do this, as you do this, as you obey your parents and everything, this pleases the Lord. So God says, man, yes, go, go, go. This is awesome. When you do that, it actually makes God happy. I heard one, one, one person say, I don't know, this is about 15 years ago, that the Bible has one command that it gives to children. Just one thing. That's to obey their parents. To honor their mother and their father. It's like, I don't know what God wants for my life, I'm not sure, but, but this one thing I'm sure of. This one thing I'm sure of. Why does God give parents? You ever wonder that? Like, what's the deal with this, right? All this problem, all this. Why does God do this? Well, God has given you parents so that you can practice living under an authority that you can see. Okay? God wants you to practice living under an authority that you can see. And not just see, but one that you can see and, and talk to. God wants to put in your life flesh and blood parents that you can see, that you can talk to, that you can touch. Parents who will show you love. Parents who will demonstrate for you what sacrifice is. And, and they will love you and nurture you and care for you. And then explain as best as they can why they tell you to do what they tell you to do. Okay? The whole design of this 
is to help you to get ready for the rest of your life. God wants you to get ready so that you can trust in His authority that you can't see. Right? This is why. God wants you to live with Him as a Father even when you don't understand His authority. Even when He tells you to do stuff that's hard. Even when He tells you to do stuff that you think is maybe crazy. God wants you. He's getting you ready for a relationship with Him. That's why He does it. And so, for kids, I want to get our kids, all the kids here in our church, to the point where they, next to God, where they would think that what their parents say is the most important thing in their lives. That's the goal. Is it hard? Yeah. Is it crazy? No. No, but in order to actually do this, you need a relationship with Jesus. You need to have his resurrection spirit, his power living in you. Putting to death your laziness, putting to death your stubbornness. And giving life to his spirit in you. So that's children under parents. Our third point is uh, parents of children under God. Parents of children under God. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So fathers, um, that word is also used to mean parents. Sometimes it means fathers, sometimes it means parents. It's possible that this was intended just to mean parents and apply to both mothers and fathers, but it could also mean that fathers are more prone to doing this. Right? It says, do not provoke your children. To provoke means, just dictionary, to cause someone to react in a way that arouses anger or makes bitter. Okay, so parents, you've got to think about this, right? Um, you don't want to live in a way that's going to cause your children to become angry or bitter. Remember last week with the bitter orange peel, right? We're not going to do that again, thankfully. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, this is kind of the tragedy. Like, this really is a tragedy when you think about it, is that God creates parents to reflect His authority. To, to, to use the authority that He's invested in parents so that children would know more about what God is like. And yet parents take that authority and they make their kids angry. I wish I wasn't in this family. Or bitter. Why? Oh, like my life is awful. Over the last week or so, I asked my kids, I said, hey kids, here's what the Bible says. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, what am I doing now that causes you to be provoked? What am I doing now that provokes you what do I do now that makes you discouraged? Every single one of my kids said, what does provoke me? <clears throat> and you know, I said, well, things that make you angry or make you bitter. And um, Daddy, when you raise your voice, um, 
Daddy, when you get mad at some of the other kids, um, Daddy, I get discouraged and I feel really deflated um, sometimes with the way that you discipline us. Um, when we're playing together and not doing it right, you pull us out and have con- like long conversations with us about what we're doing wrong. And when we're, when we're done, I just have this sense of like, I don't want to go back and play anymore. Um, that information to me is priceless. That is priceless information. Um, What are you doing that provokes your children or makes them discouraged? If you don't know, ask. One of the other things they said was, um, when you ask us to do things, and, and, or when you ask me to do something and I don't think I can do it, and I tell you, Daddy, I need help, and you say, no, do it yourself anyways. Very deflating very discouraging. Um, now, my response to those things were, I am so sorry that I've treated you this way. Will you please forgive me? You need to know that my heart's desire is to love you and to love God. And I've used my authority in a way that doesn't teach you about God. And I'm sorry. And they, they all forgave me. Um, I commend that to you. Um, and you don't have to have kids in the house for that to apply. You know, some, I know some of you have relationships where um, maybe you can go, go back and, and ask that question in, in a way that might help you understand how to maybe bring some healing and reconciliation to some issues that are still lingering. Um, that's priceless, I'm telling you. When children become discouraged, they are fair prey. They are fair prey to all kinds of influence. When they're not getting encouragement from the family, they will get it from somewhere else. And normally the alternative sources are not where you want them to be getting encouragement from. And that manifests itself in countless, countless, countless ways. Um, now, why is it hard for us as parents uh, to not provoke our children? Why is this t- tough for us? I think it's because that deep down we think that the problem is them and not us. And we think they're the problem. And so all of our focus, all of our efforts are on them, and that's wrong. Because the reality is it's you, not them. Okay? Now, there are exceptions to what I'm going to tell you. Okay? There are exceptions, but let's just let's stick with this. It's you, not them. Um, one, one author said this, children do not create problems, they reveal them. 
Um, Dorothy Law Nolte wrote this, called Children Learn What They Live. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in the world. It's you, not them. What's the environment that you are creating in your home? I had what was, to me, a terrifying experience one night. I was, Ryan Ryan was in bed, he's our five-year-old, and I was confessing to him something and uh, telling him I was sorry, and he forgave me, and then I told him, Ryan, I love you. And when I told him that, I mean, he said, I love you too, Daddy. When I told him that, though, like what struck me and just hit me like a ton of bricks was, um, man, I have a hard time trying to explain this. What hit me was that I need to be careful because if I live in a certain way and treat my children in a certain way and then I tell them that I love them, what I'm actually doing is I am defining in their minds what love is. Okay? See, as adults, we kind of have this notion, apart from our experience, what love is, what love is supposed to be, right? And so, you know, we have a big fight, like maybe the first time time you meet somebody, you get into this big fight, you have all this anger and stuff, and then all of a sudden, one of you stops and says, you know what, I want to put this beside, you know what, I, I love you. I love you, I care about you. And all of a sudden, you're in a totally different place, right? Because you go, oh, okay, love, wow, you're saying you love me. Okay, well that, all right, let's, let's try to re-engage here, right? You can separate what's been done from this idea of love. I don't think children can do that. I think that when you say to your kids you love them, when you say I love you to your kids, you are putting a label on the way that you treat them and calling that love. Does that make sense? I think this is why kids grow up and they marry people that are pretty much like their parents. This is why when kids grow up, they end up doing the stuff that's done to them. Because as parents, you are shaping by what you do more than what you say. You are shaping for your children what love is. And that just, I mean, scared me straight, kind of, you know, like it just, it freaked me out because I realized, man, and, ah, it added another thing in between me (laughs) and that person that I become. Right? When I get angry or when I get frustrated or when I, act in that way that I don't want to act like. That's 
it's another, like, wait, wait, do I really want to say I love you after this? No, okay, I'm walking away. Take a deep breath. Let me pray to the Lord. Based on how you treat them, how would your kids define love? The good news of the idea that it's, it's you and not them, what's good news about that is that you have the ability to change yourself. You can't change them, right? But you can change you. You can learn to love them with the love of Christ. And where this starts, with changing you, like this is, this is where we need the resurrection, right? We need the cross and the resurrection. If you're feeling convicted, if you're feeling guilty, this is why Jesus came, okay? He came and he used all of his authority to serve you, not just as an example to make you feel guilty for how you haven't been like him. But first and foremost, he came and he used all of his authority to serve you because he wants to give you forgiveness. He wants you to experience the cleansing power of his blood so that you can be washed clean, so that you can hear Jesus say, I love you, I care about you, and I'm going to be with you through this. I mean, where this starts, it starts with soul searching, right? You want to think through, how have I been as a parent? How have I been as a child? How am I doing as a child of God, right? And you want to think through that confession. Confess your sins. It's the best thing to do with your sin. If you see areas where you've fallen short, where you've screwed up, where you've done damage, confess it to Jesus and ask him to forgive you. Name it. Name every single thing that you've done. Because what happens is, as you confess your sins, Jesus puts the power of his blood, the power of his death, right there, and then right there, and then right there, and right there, and right there, and right there, in every place you need it. And then you think to yourself, Jesus, when you were in a situation like this, when you were tempted to be angry, how did you respond? I've got your blood in this place. How do I put your resurrection power in this place? Because you now live in me. How can I be like you in this situation? Cleansed by your blood, forgiven and assured of your forgiveness. How can I now look like you? How can I use your authority? How can I use the authority you've given me to serve? That's the commitment I want you as parents to make. I want you to commit, right? And you're going to screw this up, okay? But just commit and be committed to it. Be committed to this and then to confess it when you don't do this. That. That you will use your authority. That you will use your authority as a parent to serve your children. To serve your children. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, there are times like this. We need you so desperately. We have confessed our need for you. We've confessed our sins to you. And Lord, now we need more. We need more of you, Lord. We need you to draw near to us. Jesus, would you speak right now? Would you draw near to us? Show us those areas that we need to confess to you. Help us, Lord, to bring those 
and those sins that we've committed to the cross. And Jesus, change our minds with your death and resurrection. Let that story be the thing that is the most important thing about us. Help us, Lord, to live under your authority so that as parents and as children, we can live in ways that reflect you. Strengthen our families, Lord. Help us to deal with the junk. And Lord, lead us not just into confession, but lead us into reconciliation with you, with each other, with our families. And fill our families, Lord, with such joy, with such reconciliation, that it would be so remarkable that we'd be able to share that with others. Thank you, Lord. You use your authority to serve us. It blows our minds that the God of the universe would do such a thing. Help us to follow you. Amen.